So it's been a minute since I saw you. I'm, I'm glad to be back in person after a, a week of snow and being confined to a house. And I'm glad to be both out of the house and also here with you. Last week, we, uh, instead of meeting here because of the weather, we met online and prayed together. Thank you for those of you who were able to join us and, and pray uh, with us, both in the morning and in the afternoon, or those of you who weren't able to join uh, with us at that moment, uh, who prayed on your own. We appreciate that as we are working on our um, being continually steadfast in prayer together as a church. Uh, this year. And so, uh, thank you for, for doing that. When we left off two weeks ago, we sort of left a thread dangling, right? That, that Jesus had been confronted by some of the religious leaders. They had come to Him and they said, what are you doing? By what authority are you doing these things? We see that you are throwing people out of the temple for uh, bartering and trading and selling goods there, and we see that you are teaching in the temple, by what authority do you do this? And uh, Jesus asked them, He said, I'll ask you a question, by what authority didn't John the Baptist come and preach? And they said, well, we won't say right? Their actual words were, we don't know, but in reality it was, we don't want to say. And so Jesus said, okay, I'm not going to tell you either. And so we just have this thread, this string that's, that's dangling of where does Jesus' authority come from? Where does Jesus' authority come from? Is it from heaven or is it from man, as, as Jesus put it to them? And so now to that string, we're going to tie a couple of stories. Jesus is going to um, tie a couple of stories to that string, and then we're going to pull on it at the end and see what happens, okay? So this is what comes next. After Jesus has said, I also am not going to tell you by what authority I do these things. Then he says, what do you think? This is verse 28 of Matthew 21. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and he went. And he went to the other son and he said the same, and he said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they responded, the first. So you have these two sons, right? The, the father comes to them. He comes to the first one and he says, son, go and work in the vineyard. I don't know what the work was to do. Presumably the son knew what to do. I don't know if it was harvesting grapes or if it was pruning vines or putting down mulch, but it was something that he was supposed to do, go out into the vineyard and work the vineyard, right? The, the father probably owns this vineyard, and he says, son, I need you to go out and work in the vineyard. And the son, son goes, no, I don't feel like it. I don't want to. I'm not going to. Now, Perhaps some of you are parents, and perhaps some of you have been children who had parents who told you to go and do something. I would hope that it would be inconceivable for you to just go, no, I will not, right? 
you, you might try and negotiate. You might uh, ask some clarifying questions, but just a defiant, no, not going to do it. I hope that that would be inconceivable for you as a child or uh, for you as a parent to hear that. But I suspect that you have heard it before, and I have suspect that you have said it before. No, I'm not going to do it. At this time, in this culture, it would be completely unthinkable that a father would go to his son and say, son, go and do this, and that he would just say, no, no. What would be more likely is that what the second son does, where he says, oh yeah, I will do that, sir. Yes, sir. Lots of respect. The first one, defiant. Nope, not going to do it. The second one, lots of respect. I go, sir. I'm already on my way, sir. A lot of respect. And this is what you would expect, that somebody would say that. Now, he doesn't actually go. But at least he was very respectful and said he was going to go, right? The first one defied his father. The first one defied his father and just said, no, I'm not going to and you can't make me. Now, just based on those responses, and you say, which one gave the response that the father wants to hear? And you would say, well, definitely the second one. The second one gave the response that he wanted to hear. I'm, all, I'm on my way. I'm going. I've dropped everything, and I'm on my way, sir. Yes, that's what fathers want to hear. Thank you very much. Thank you. May I hear that every day. I'm already doing it, sir. You remember that. <laughs> and the second one says, no, I don't. I won't. But then, in reality, he changes his mind. He goes, oh, I, I should really do it. Dad asked me to do it. He told me to do it. I, I really should go and do it. And so he changes his mind. He repents of his uh, contrary attitude, and he goes out to work in the vineyard and do what his father asked. The other one, whether he also changed his mind after saying, I'm on my way to do it, or he never intended to do it, we're not sure. But he doesn't go. He said he was going to, but in reality, he didn't. And so then Jesus comes and he asks the, the religious leaders, let me ask you this question. Which of these two sons did what the father wanted? The second one. The second one did. It's an easy question. It's an easy question. He said he wasn't going to, but he actually did. The other one said he was going to, and he actually didn't. It was, the proof was in the pudding, as they say, right? It was, it was in the actual doing of it. You can say whatever you want, but if you're not actually doing it, it didn't count. That's what the leaders here are saying, right? So then I have to ask, what are we doing? What are we doing? Because it's really easy to say, 
what we want to be, right? It's really easy to say what we want to be. It's really easy to say, oh yes, I want to exercise. That's an easy thing for me to say. I believe it in my heart. I want to exercise. But when it comes right down to it, at the end of a long day, when my wife says to me, what do you want to do right now? I say, I want a hot drink and to sit on the couch and watch something. If you ask me in the morning, which she does, what do you want to do tonight? I'm going to say, I want to exercise. Which of the sons am I? (laughs) But we do this with faith all the time, right? Yes, I follow Jesus. It's a very easy thing to say. It's a very easy thing to say. And these leaders are saying, we follow God. By what authority, Jesus, do you do these things? By what authority do you teach? By what authority do you do these miracles? By what authority do you throw people out of the temple? By what authority do you do these things? And Jesus says, I'll ask you a question, and then I'll tell you a story. These two sons, which of them does what the father wants? And they said, that's easy. It's the the first one. It's the first one. Because it is in what we do. It's as James 1 puts it, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. We can read the word, we can hear the word, we can say the word, but if we're not doing the word, we are deceiving ourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and then goes away and at once forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. It is in the doing, not merely the saying. And so Jesus says to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. And they're going, what? Time out. Time out. The tax collectors? The tax collectors. Those traitors of God's people who are selling to the Romans? Who are extorting us for taxes so that they can give it to our oppressors? And who are lining their pockets with extra? The tax collectors? And the prostitutes? Look, Jesus, we think you've lost your mind. We've read the law. We've read God's instruction to us, and we know what he asks for of us to do, and the tax collectors and the prostitutes are not doing it. They're not doing it. They're not saying it. And Jesus says this, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom before you because... Verse 32, for John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. They believed him. John came to you and told you what is right. He told you of the righteousness which comes from heaven and you didn't believe him. And you didn't believe him. 
But the tax collectors and the prostitutes, what did they do? They heard the preaching of John. When John said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the tax collectors and the prostitutes went to John and said, forgive me, I repent, I have changed my mind. I have been one kind of a person who is defiant of God and I have changed my mind. I need to be forgiven. And John said, you need to be baptized and repent of your sin and go and sin no more. That's what you need. And the tax collectors and the prostitutes came and they did that. And their lives were transformed. Have you seen somebody whose life is transformed? Where you look at them and, then you, and you have known them, but you look at them from before and you look at them afterwards and you're like, I, can't, I cannot believe you are the same person. Have you seen somebody whose life has been changed by Christ? And you're like, hold up. What happened here? You were like drinking all the time. Every weekend you were getting drunk and you don't do that anymore because you're going to church on Sunday mornings. What happened to you? I used to hear the language that came out of your mouth. There was not a a whole sentence that would come out of your mouth without a, a swear word in it. And now you're praying. What happened to you? What happened to you? I've been changed. I've been transformed. And when John came and he preached, those tax collectors and and, uh, prostitutes and other sinners came to him and said, I repent. And their lives were transformed. And even when you saw it, he says in verse 32, And even when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your minds and believe him. You did not do likewise. Because what was Jesus' initial question to them? The authority of John the Baptist. When he came, where did his authority come from? And what was their response? They whispered among themselves in Matthew 21, verse 25, when he said, the baptism of John, where did it come from? From heaven or man? And they discussed it among themselves. What what should we say? What should we say? What should we say? Yeah, what should we say? Because if we say from heaven, he'll say, then why did you not believe him? We can't say that it came from heaven. Because if we say it came from heaven, then he will say, why didn't you believe him then? Why did you not, like everyone else, go and repent of your sin? You watch the tax collectors go. You watch the sinners go. You watch the prostitutes go. You watch them all go. You saw their lives transformed, and yet you still rejected the righteousness that John preached. Which of the sons are they? Jesus says, you know who the first son is? Who the first child is? The tax collectors and the sinners and the prostitutes? That's the first one. Yep. They said, nope, not going. They were defiant of God. It looked bad from the beginning. I'll grant you that. But when it came right down to it, they changed their minds. They repented. And have done what the Father has asked. And you have not. Even though you witnessed them doing it. And then he says, 
Here's another parable. Verse 33. And so he's strung this first parable to that dangling string about where does his authority comes from, and now he's going to tie a second parable, a second story or illustration that's going to go alongside reality, and we're going to see this story and understand what the reality is through it, okay? So here another parable, he says, here another story. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower, and leased it to tenants, and went to another country. Okay, so what's this guy done? Everything that is required for a vineyard, right? He's purchased the property, he's built it, he put a wall around it, he planted them, he got everything ready, everything that they they would need, right? He planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug the wine press so that the wine could be made once the grapes were harvested, and then he built a tower so that they could watch over it and make sure that no wildlife was going in there and getting any of the grapes and no people were coming in and stealing any of the grapes. He did everything so that this vineyard is completely ready to go. It is protected, and all of the things that are needed for uh, the making of the wine are there and ready. And then he leases it to tenants and he goes off. So he leases it to tenants and then he goes off. And when the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. Seems reasonable. It's his vineyard after all. He built it, prepared it made an agreement with the tenants that they would do the work of, plant, of harvesting the grapes and getting it ready and making the wine, and then he would uh, share in the fruit, right? They would get some of it, he would get some of it. This was the deal that he set up with them when he leased it to them because he's the owner of the vineyard. And so when the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants and to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took the servants and they beat one and they killed another and they stoned another. I, I don't think that's what tenants are supposed to do. If I owned a vineyard and I uh, sent some messengers to go collect things from the vineyard that I owned, I would be rather disappointed in the tenants that acted in this way. We had an agreement. You're supposed to pay in fruit, in produce, what we agreed on. Probably not all of it, some percentage that we have mutually agreed on when you started the work. We said, this is what you're going to do, and they said, yes, that's what I'm going to do. And then the servants get sent, the messengers get sent to go and collect that and bring it back, and instead they come back beaten and bruised. What happened to you? They said, no. They said, that which we agreed to give you, we will not give you. And they beat us and sent us away empty-handed. And again, verse 36, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. The landlord is going, okay, I sent some servants to go and collect it. I will send more this time. 
I will show that I'm serious about this. I'm going to send more servants, more messengers to go and collect. And they went and they were treated the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. The landlord says, okay, son, heir of the property, they will respect you. You go. You go and collect it. And so the son goes to collect it. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and they threw threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. If that happened to you, what would you do? If you owned that vineyard and you sent your child to go and collect it, having already sent uh, messengers and all kinds of people, if you sent your child to go and collect it and they killed them, what would you do? This is Jesus' question to them. Okay, I've told you the story. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? This is not the first time that this picture has been used in Scripture, right? This picture of the vineyard has been used many times often about the the nation of Israel and um, God's relationship to them. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 5, you have a very, very similar parable where Isaiah says this in Isaiah chapter 5. It says, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it, and he hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and, I, and it will be devoured. I will break down its walls, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. And I will also command the clouds that no rain shall rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. This parable has already been told. These religious leaders are very familiar with this parable. What is the parable? The parable is of the vineyard of God's people that is not producing the fruit that it was supposed to produce. God says, I prepared it. I did everything. What did I not do for you? Did I not give you a place to be? I gave you a place to be. Did I not protect you? I protected you. Did I not provide for you? I provided for you. I provided everything you needed. And you produced nothing. Nothing. Therefore, the whole thing shall be destroyed. This was the story that Isaiah told. 
And so when Jesus tells his story, and he says, now, this, there were tenants in there, and the reason that no fruit was being produced, that no fruit came forth, was because those wicked tenants did not treat it properly. They did not produce the fruit. They did not provide the fruit. So what should be done to those tenants? And their response to him was, he will put out those wretches. He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him fruits in their seasons. Have you ever explained something to somebody and waited for them to get it? And then you ask them, and they explain it back. And you're like, you're doing it wrong. And they're like, no, I'm not doing it wrong. I have done it over and over, and it's not working because it can't work. And you go, you're doing it wrong. Do it this way instead. You've got it backwards. And they go, no, look it, watch. When I do it backwards, oh, it works. So Jesus is telling them this story, and he goes, what does this story mean? What's going to happen? What should happen to that second son who said, I will go, and then didn't go? What should happen to those tenants who said, I will do the work, and then they didn't do the work? Who said, I will give you back from the produce of the garden, and then didn't give back from the produce of the garden? What should happen to those wretches? He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. That's what's going to happen. That's the consequence of their actions. And it wasn't that they didn't know what to do, right? It wasn't ignorance on the part of the second son that the father came to him and he was unclear on what was to happen go work in the vineyard, and he said, I am already on my way, sir. Or that the lease agreement was not clear between the landowner and the tenants. It wasn't that. It was that they didn't want to do it. No, I, I, I don't want to. Just like the first posture of the first son, right? Who declared, I don't want to. Go work in the vineyard. I don't want to. That's the posture. That's the posture of the tenants. That's the posture of the second son. They just gave lip service instead. Oh, they sound respectful. Oh, yes, I am doing it. I, oh, very well. Yes, we'll do it. Consider it done. But they don't. But they don't. When it comes right down to it, the primary reason that we don't do what God asks of us is not because we are not clear on what He's asking of us, but because we don't want to do it. I'm comfortable in what I'm doing right now. God, I'm, I'm comfortable with my hot chocolate and my blanket and watching this show. Don't ask me to do nothing else. I'm tired. Just leave me alone. Travis, I want you to go and do 
sure. I'll get to it later. I'll get to it later. Will I get to it later? Maybe. Maybe not. It's really easy. It's really easy to say, I'll get to it later. I'll do it later. I'll do the work later. I'll do the practicing later. I'll do the exercise later. I'll do the chores later. I'll do the work later. It's really easy. And we prefer it. But it puts us in this position, right? Where when we say those things, and when the uh, religious leaders say, I know what will happen... Those wretches are going to be thrown out and different people are going to be put into the garden. Different people are going to come into the vineyard. It's not that they're not clear, right? It's not that they don't understand. What I want is I want to accept Jesus into my life. I just don't want to have to change anything right? As long as I can just pray a prayer or say some words, I believe in Jesus, then that's great. Let's be done there. That's enough, right? I said it. I honored him. Without recognizing, realizing, or wanting to acknowledge that if I accept Jesus... It means that I must submit to His authority. And then my whole life is given over to Him. The entire thing. Wouldn't it be easier if I just said that I was His? Wouldn't it be easier if I just said that I would do it? Then would he get off my back? Then would you get off my back? Stop preaching at me. Stop telling me that I need to repent. Oh, I believe, I believe, I believe. But if we believe, we will do. So that we're not hearers of the word only, but doers of what it says. So that we will actually submit to the king. You see, these parables are not stories about people who don't know what to do. They're stories about people who know what to do, and they know where the authority lies. The son knows that the father has the authority. The tenants know that the landowner has the authority, and they are unwilling to submit. So when they ask the question, Jesus, where do you get this authority from? Who gave you the authority that you could teach? Who gave you the authority that you could do miracles? Who gave you the authority that you could cast the people out of the temple? Who gave you this authority? Jesus is saying, let me tell you something about authority. If you don't submit to the authority that comes from heaven, you will be thrown out of the vineyard. You have said so yourself. You miserable wretches.
Your words, not mine. Jesus said to them, verse, 20, uh, verse 42, and Jesus said to them, Have you never read the Scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous in my eyes. It comes from Psalm 118, where the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases and His mercies never come to an end. There's, there is uh, the, the love of the Lord is in this psalm. It's so much about the love and the faithfulness of God that you almost miss this verse. It seems almost out of context in this verse. But what Jesus is saying is that in the midst of God's steadfast love and mercy, there are those who are going to reject the cornerstone. There are those who are going to reject the cornerstone. He says, therefore I tell you, verse 43, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and it will be given to a people who will produce its fruit. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is what John was preaching. That's what Jesus preached after John. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, 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 repent. You're not repenting. You're not repenting. The kingdom of God is going to get taken away from you and it's going to be given to somebody else. Just as you said those who do not produce the fruit in keeping with the kingdom will, and in keeping with repentance, it will be taken away from you and it will be given to somebody else. This is your last chance, guys. This is your last chance. You want to know where my authority comes from? Where did it come from? Where did it come from for John? Look at the evidence Look at the way that people's lives were transformed as they gave themselves to me. These wicked sinners, those wretches that you would, everybody recognizes how wicked and awful they are, and their lives were transformed so that they are producing now the fruit of righteousness. And even after you saw that, you still didn't believe. You still didn't believe. And so it's the kingdom is going to be taken away from you guys. It was right there, right there. You could have had it. You had it in your grasp. You understood it. You saw it. And you are willfully disobeying. Guys, please. Please submit to the authority of God and produce the fruit in keeping with repentance. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. If you were to take a teacup and you were to drop it on a rock, that teacup gets smashed. But if you were to take the rock and you were to drop it on the teacup, nope, the teacup's still smashed. Any encounter between teacups and rocks, bad news for teacups. When we have the rock, when we have the rock, the cornerstone, the foundation, if you will not submit to his authority, you will be crushed. You might fall on him or he might crush you. But we have to submit to his authority. 
And so we had that dangling thread, and we took a story, and we tied it to it, and we took a second story, and we tied it to that, and now we've tied this rock to the end of it that's going to pull the whole thing down. And like a pair of blinds that flip open when you pull on the string, we look through these stories, and we see Jesus as He really is. We see that Jesus is the rock of the salvation. Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith. Jesus is the one who came from heaven to have authority to proclaim, repent for the kingdom of heaven is now and I am its king. And so when we ask the question, Jesus, by where do you get this authority? He says, I have always had this authority. From before time began, when I resided in heaven, I had this authority. When I created the world, I had this authority. When I entered into flesh, I have this authority. When I die, I will have this authority. When I take up my life again, I will have this authority. And when I reign forevermore, I will have this authority. The question is not, where does my authority come from? The question is, will you submit to it? Will you submit to it? And at this point, it has become so painfully clear. Jesus has been so uh, perfectly direct with them that it's almost like Jesus has dunked on them and then is flexing while his disciples are going, oh, too small, too small. Because the Pharisees don't understand what they're messing with here. But they definitely understand exactly what Jesus is saying. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. Now, when the disciples have heard the parables, it seemed like every time the, the disciples were like, what is he talking about? I don't know. Jesus, what were you talking about? The disciples never seem to understand the parables. And yet, when Jesus tells these parables to those, these religious leaders, they go, oh, you're talking about us. You said this about us. You're saying that the kingdom of God is going to be taken away from us, that we're going to be thrown out of the kingdom of heaven. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. What? That's your response? You're fulfilling the parable even as it's being explained. As Jesus says, I am the Son who has come to tell you to give back the fruit. They're like, you're telling this story about us. You're saying that we're the tenants who kill the Son. We better kill Him. And thereby fulfill the story. Because they are defiant and unwilling to submit to His authority. Anyone who is unwilling to submit to the authority of Jesus will be crushed. And so I am going to beg with you that all these things are true for us as well. 
and that we must not merely pay lip service to Jesus, but to give him our whole lives and submit to him. Because if not, we will be crushed by this stone. But if we do repent of our sin and follow him with our whole lives, then 1 Peter 2 says this, then as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And so you can stumble over and be crushed by the one rock, or you can make him your foundation and be built up into a beautiful edifice. And the choice is yours. Let's pray. Father, we come here in this place today, and in this place we hear from your word that you have authority over heaven and earth. And Lord, so often we want to remain comfortable, and we want to do what we want to do, and we do not want to submit to you. But Lord, we ask that in this place today, as we hear this word, we would repent. And Lord, as we repent, we ask that you would forgive us of our sin. That you would make us righteous before you. That you would fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we, we may walk in your ways that we might be filled with the righteousness of Christ. Lord, may we not only say that today, but may we walk in obedience tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that for the rest of our lives and into eternity. Lord, do not allow us to slip from your grasp. Do not let us be vessels destined for destruction. But hold us fast so that we may remain steadfast to the end. Lord, we ask for your grace now and then in Jesus' name. Amen.